The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. I'm Pastor Chris. Great to have you with us today. I hope you've had an awesome week. Beautiful weather outside there today uh, here in Charleston. Hey, I want to thank everybody for... um, uh, for everybody who donated uh, candy uh, to the Oakland Elementary School's Trunk or Treat, uh, man, we had a great, it was just a great event, and uh, we gave away all that candy, gave away over uh, like 400 hot dogs, and uh, uh, it was just an awesome, awesome experience. I want to thank you guys for doing that. Hey, a couple of other quick things. Um, tonight, actually, I know Ryan, you know, probably not going to announce this, but um, uh, so tonight at 6 o'clock, we're actually having a baby shower uh, for Ryan and Gracie, and it's a church-wide event. Love for you to come back uh, at 6 o'clock tonight. And I just we just want to bless and love uh, Ryan and Gracie, their first child. And um, uh, we're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs. Uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. So we'd love for you to come back and uh, be a part of that tonight um, at 6 o'clock. Hey, the other thing that's inside your bulletin I want to draw your attention to is the uh, little blue uh, insert. Uh, it says first impressions on it. Uh, we really try to go out of our way to uh, create a warm, welcoming atmosphere uh, for everyone, particularly our guests. And uh, so... Our First Impressions team, they're on the front lines uh, for doing that each and every week. Uh, If you're interested in serving, and there's just a lot of opportunities to serve. Some of these you might not have thought about before. It's like, wow, they have a leaf blower, a golf cart driver, a Panera pickup, all these different things that happen uh, through our First Impressions team. And so if you're interested in serving, uh, Chris Renew kind of oversees the ministry, and he's got several other team leaders. And uh, just fill out the front, uh, check the things that you're interested in in the back, fold it up, put it in the uh, offering bucket at the end, and uh, we'd love to connect with you. Um, we are in uh, week six of this series uh, called Losing My Religion, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as uh, I have. Uh, we've had a lot of fun going through the book of James. Uh, I want to begin this morning by asking you somewhat of a theological question this morning. Don't always do that, but I want to this morning. Um, what is the relationship between faith and, and works? You know, that's definitely a theme here uh, in the book of James. In, in other words, can you have true saving faith without doing good works? Now, it would be hard to over, uh, you know, overstate the importance of faith, right, to the Christian life. I mean, you see faith all throughout the Bible. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 says that we are saved by grace through faith. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that the believer must walk by faith. Hebrews 11.6 actually says without faith it's impossible to please God. And in Romans uh, 14 says that whenever you do something apart from faith, it's actually sin. So again, it's hard to overstate the importance of faith. So you get the idea that faith is an essential part of our relationship with God. But then you come here to the book of James And James seems to be emphasizing that, you know, our good works as a Christian are really important. You know, putting our faith into action with the emphasis on on action. So which is it? You know, is it it faith? Is it good works? Is it both? Uh, When I was um, a freshman, sophomore uh, in Bible college, I worked as an intern uh, as a church at a church in Fayetteville, Georgia, and uh, that was kind of common for you know Bible college students and uh, going into ministry, working uh, different churches. And uh, believe it or not, one of my responsibilities was actually to lead the children's church on Sunday mornings. 
That, that was my responsibility. And uh, one of my favorite parts uh, was the songs that we would sing. And uh, especially all the, so- the action songs, you know, with all the hand motions. Uh, you know, the kids really loved them. You could, you know, really get into them. And there, there was one particular song that always seemed to be a crowd favorite. Because you got to clap your hands, stomp your feet, give a smile, and shout amen. Anybody remember that song? If you grew up in children's church, anybody remember that song? That's right. If you're happy and you know it. Now, sometimes we would change the words a little bit and we would sing, if you're saved and you know it. If you're saved and you know it. Now, there's a little phrase at the end of the chorus that sometimes gets lost in the midst of all the clapping, stomping, smiling, and shouting. Okay? And it goes like this. If you're saved and you know it, then your, anybody know? Your life will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, if you're saved and you know it, your life will surely show it. In other words, if you have a true, genuine faith, then your life is going to show it. Again, faith and works going together. Now, that's exactly what Jesus was getting at uh, in Matthew chapter 7 when he said this. Yes, the way to identify a tree or a person is by the kind of fruit that is produced the fruit in that person's life. So in other words, faith is the root, but our good deeds, our works, are the fruit. And that's what James is is saying here in the passage that I want us to talk about today. We've been kind of working our way through the book of James, and today we're in the end of chapter 2. And he's basically saying that if you have a genuine faith, then your life will surely show it. A genuine faith that will produce good works. It's, it's not either or, okay? It's not faith or works. It's, it's both and. It's faith and works working together, going together, hand in hand. So this morning, what I want us to do, and if you're watching online, welcome today. We're glad that you're joining us as well. But I want us to talk about what that looks like, okay? By looking at four different characteristics of this genuine faith found in this passage in James chapter 2. So if you're taking notes, uh, number one, uh, a genuine faith is, is involved, not indifferent. Okay, it's involved, not indifferent. In fact, in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but then does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? Now you might paraphrase this situation by saying, if you say you believe like you should, then why do you behave like you shouldn't? That's basically what he's saying, and it's a fair and valid question. You know, the early New Testament church, one of the things that they were known for was a faith, a genuine, authentic faith that was involved in the lives of the people around them. In fact, the book of Acts shows that they were so servant-minded, so others-minded, that they influenced an entire uh, culture for Christ. The non-Christians noticed the Christians in their community. In fact, the Roman emperor Hadrian once said this back in the first century when he was describing followers of Jesus. He said this, they love one another. 
They never fail to help the widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they freely give to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home, and they are as happy as though he were a real brother. That's the Roman emperor. That's his comment about believers. In Matthew 25, 40, Jesus said this, I assure you, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. He's saying the same thing, that we got to have a faith that is involved, that's not you know, indifferent to the world around us, to the people and the needs around us. George Bernard Shaw once said this, the worst sin toward our fellow man is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them, to be indifferent. And I, I actually think that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. It's apathy. You know, and, and James says, listen, if you are claiming that you believe, if you're claiming that you have faith, it is going to be backed up by how you treat other people. So get involved. Two guys were once talking about all the world's problems, and uh, one guy said to the other one, all the world's problems can be reduced to two things, ignorance and apathy. What do you think about that? And his buddy said, well, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> In Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus said this, if anyone acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will openly acknowledge that person before my Father in heaven. But if anyone denies me here on earth, I will deny that person before my Father in heaven. Now the word deny there is kind of an interesting word in Greek in the first century. It could literally be translated not just to deny Christ, but to ignore him, to reject him, to disown him. What it really means is to be indifferent toward him. Kipling put it like this, oh, England is a garden and such gardens are not made by saying, oh, how beautiful, and then sitting in the shade. Some of you here today, you have beautiful gardens and beautiful yards, and, and uh, man, you've spent hour upon hour upon hour, you know, just diligently planting and weeding and watering and trimming and cutting and fertilizing. And then people come over and they comment on the, on the beauty of your, your yard and how much effort it took. And the reality is that's the reason for the, for the beauty. Your effort, your involvement, and your faith is the same. Listen, you're never going to grow, you're never going to deepen in your faith by just sitting on the sidelines. There's a big, big difference between being a spectator, just coming and sitting and soaking, and then being an active participant, being on mission. You know, that's why we, that's why we talk about getting involved here, because true faith is not being indifferent. It's being involved. Ever have somebody close to you, maybe even a, a spouse or a child or just someone that you know near and dear to you that tells you that they don't feel loved? And then you respond and you'll say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. You know, I, I tell you I love you all the time. And then you know, without fail, they'll come back with, yeah, I know you say you love me, but you don't what? You don't show me. Now, we probably all heard things like that from someone at one time or another. We probably even said it ourselves. And when someone that we really do love says something like that to us, typically it serves as a wake-up call. You know, for us to re-examine and kind of, you know, make a real effort to start doing those things which express genuine love to that person. 
you know, for them, maybe it's a, you know, an encouraging touch, or it's a, a card, or a flowers, or it's a phone call, or it's a conversation, or it's a date night, or it's just sitting down and listening to one another. But guys, sometimes I wonder if we've turned a deaf ear toward God, and we've ignored and rejected His voice when He says, you say that you love me, but you don't show me. You don't read my word. You don't read the love letters that I've sent to you. You say that you love me, but you don't even talk to me. You say that you love me, but you don't serve the least of these in your community. You say that you love me, but you don't even serve those in your own community, in your own church. James 2.17 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. Guys, listen, there are so many ways to be involved, to involve your faith here at Coastal. You know, I just mentioned uh, First Impressions team, just serving, being involved, getting involved, serving others. Putting others ahead of yourself. This coming Saturday, we have an opportunity to come and serve the least of these in our community uh, here through Saturday Serve. Once a month, it's always the first Saturday of every month. You know, we don't change it up on you. Uh, we gather together here at 8.30, and we hear about different opportunities that we're going to have to serve people in our community. And then we just go out and do it. And you don't have to come and prepare anything. You just come and get involved and serve. In fact, today, uh, on the back of your Connect card, I believe, uh, on, underneath my next step today, it says, I will attend the next Saturday serve uh, on November the 3rd. That's this coming Saturday. So many ways to involve your faith. That leads me to number two, the second characteristic of a genuine faith. Uh, genuine faith is a partnership. It's not independent. It's a partnership. You know, kids today, man, they can't wait for their independence. Would you agree with that? I mean, it almost seems like from the moment they're born, they grow up, they cannot wait until the day comes when they're independent and they can get out on their own, you know, when they can start buying their own clothes and, and uh, pay for their own car insurance and pay for their own cell phone bill, put themselves through college on their own and, you know, make their own meals when they can do their own laundry. Okay, maybe not, maybe not that independent, right? Okay. Um, John Calvin wrote, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. You see, faith is not independent. It is in partnership. It flows out of a relationship with God. Our, our service, our doing you know, good works to the least of these is prompted by our relationship with Jesus. That's what it flows out of. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. Again, it flows out of that partnership. Faith without works is incomplete. But the opposite is just as incomplete. Having works, but not true authentic faith. You see, it takes both. I don't know if you saw this or not, uh, but just this last week, the U.S. Justice Department opened an investigation into the Roman Catholic Church in the state of Pennsylvania over the alleged child abuse, child sex abuse, and started issuing subpoenas. Um, it follows a state grand jury report made public just two months ago. 
Uh, and this is, I know you're thinking, well, I thought that happened several years ago. No, no, this was again this summer, two months ago in Pennsylvania, and found that at least 1,000 children had been abused by over 300 priests in six dioceses over 70 years. And the report said that likely there were thousands more victims whose records were either lost or who were too afraid to come forward. And uh, the report cataloged horrific incidences of abuse. Um, A priest raped a young girl in the hospital after she had her tonsils out. A victim tied up and whipped with leather straps by a priest. Another priest who was allowed to stay in ministry after impregnating a young girl and arranging for her to have an abortion. Um, Church officials, here's what the report said. Church officials followed a playbook for concealing the truth. The grand jury said... um, By minimizing the abuse by using words like inappropriate contact instead of rape. Assigning priests untrained in sexual abuse cases to investigate their fellow priests and then not informing the community of the real reasons for removing an accused priest. And this is what they said. Tell his parishioners that he's on sick leave suffering from a nervous exhaustion, or, the report said, say nothing at all. Now, it's sickening to hear stuff like that. In fact, again, that's why we're in the series called Losing My Religion, because that, that right there is what the watching world thinks about religion today. And, and we question, you know, how in the world could somebody on the one hand not only be involved in the church and do good things in the community and claim to be a man, of, a man of God, but then on the other hand, on the inside of their heart, be so far from God and do such evil things? Because there's a disconnect. They have separated their good works from true, authentic faith. And on the outside... They appear to be a servant doing good things, but in reality, there is no partnership with Jesus whatsoever. Again, it's both. There's a third characteristic that I want us to look at, uh, that faith is on display, and it's not invisible. It's on display, a genuine uh, authentic faith, it's on display, not invisible. I know what you might be thinking. You might push back a little bit and say, whoa, 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 wait a second, Pastor Chris. You know, I thought, you know, we've always talked about how you're, you're not supposed to be arrogant. You're supposed to be humble. You know, we're not supposed to, you know, call attention to ourselves. You know, more of him, less of me. Well, that's not what James is talking about here. He means that we're to be, you know, proud of our faith. We're to have a courageous faith. We want others to know that Hey, Jesus is real to me. I actually have a relationship with him, and I'm not embarrassed about it. And you say, well, you know, that's not really my style, Pastor Chris. You know, that's not my personality. You know, that's good for you because maybe you're more of an extrovert, and I'm an introvert. I'm not like that. James 2.18 says, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. And we all know people like that. You know, people who will say they have enough faith, you know, to get them into heaven, but they don't even have enough faith to get out of bed and make it to church. You know, they have enough faith to say, you know, got their, you know, get out of hell free card and go to heaven, but they don't have enough faith to serve, to be involved. Something's wrong. They don't have enough faith to invite their friend to church. And James basically is saying, hey guys, 
It's challenge time. It's time to put up or shut up. You know, back to the 14th verse, I like the way James phrases it. He says, if a man says he has faith. Notice that he doesn't say if a man has faith, but he says if a man says he has faith. In other words, we like to say a lot of things, don't we? But then it's hard to back it up with, with actions. And again, there's a lot of people today who can, who can talk the talk, but they have a hard time walking the walk. And James knew that his readers you know, would struggle with this. He knew that we would. You know, there are many people today who talk about faith, who talk about what they say they believe, but they don't follow through with it. Emerson once said, what you are speaks so loud, I can't hear what you say. In Titus 1.16, Paul was describing a, a lazy group of people who called themselves Christians. They were the Cretans, and he said this about them. Listen to this. Such people claim that they know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. They're despicable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. What, what, what James is getting at, what Paul is getting at, is that real faith is something that should permeate every area of your life. You know, your, your attitude, your priorities, your conversation, your actions, it, and it is on display for the world to see through your example. You know, and, and through that, God's glorified. Faith and works working together. A faith that's so strong and, and courageous that the only explanation is that, man, you love Jesus so much, you'd, you'd be willing to die for him. And in the meantime... Man, you just spend your life and time and energy just living for him. Abraham Lincoln once said, I can get a number of men who are willing to shed their last drop of blood, but I have difficulty in finding men who are willing to shed their first drop of blood. You know, the early church, 2,000 years ago, man, they flourished because people were willing to put their faith on display. They weren't ashamed that they were followers of Jesus. They were courageous in their faith. They talked about their faith. So much so that it might mean for them that they were going to become lunch for a lion in the Colosseum. Or a human shish kebab to light the sidewalks of Nero's palace. That really happened. They just rounded up Christians, dipped them in tar, put them on a stake and lit them on fire. In Acts 4.13, it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized these were just unschooled, ordinary men. They didn't have education. They were astonished, and they took notice simply that these men had been with Jesus. In other words, man, they had a relationship with Jesus, and it changed their life. You see, not only did people notice their acts of love and kindness, but they saw their faith on display. Ask yourself this question. You know, when people look at me and they see my life, do they see anything that remotely re resembles Jesus? If you have a genuine faith, I bet they do. And I know there's a lot of people here at Coastal, man, you guys are living for Jesus, you're not ashamed of your faith, your church, you talk about it. A genuine faith allows Jesus to change you from the inside out and then just to be a natural influence on other people. Let me, let me give you one way. In fact, I, th I believe it's one of the first ways that we put our faith on display. It's through baptism. 
That's exactly what baptism is. It is simply an outward expression, an outward representation of an inward faith. I got a question for you. Some of you who are uh, professed believers, have you been uh, baptized by immersion? Believer's baptism. I'm not talking about when you were a baby, when you were a young child, and you don't even remember it, and somebody did it to you. I'm saying, were you willing to put your faith on display by going public with your faith? Jesus did it, as an example, and he commanded it. So what are you waiting on? Are you... You know, listen, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, you know, here on earth, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. What about you? Is that your next step today? A fourth characteristic of a genuine faith is that it's from the heart, not just from the head. It's in your heart, not just in your head. And again, remember who James was talking to here. Basically, he was writing to some Jewish Christians who their whole background was was the law. And they were experts in getting knowledge in their head, but the hard part was getting that head knowledge into a faith in in their hearts. And James 2.19 says, well, you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, it's interesting to me, the word shudder there, this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this word is used. Really, what it means is to have the hair on the back of your head. I have a hard time relating to this. Some of you do. The hair on the back of your head stand up, okay? Or for those of you who have uh, cats, you know, it's like when a cat is in a confrontation with a dog and its hair stands up and it's terrified. And that's, that's the word that James is using here. And I also love this verse because James is being a little sarcastic here, okay? He basically says, hey, you say you believe in God. Well, big whoop de doo you know? Big whoop. He says, even you just lumped yourself in the same company with demons. Even the demons believe that and shudder. In other words, even demons are convinced of the existence of God. According to Mark chapter 3, they believe in the deity of Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, we find a man here who was possessed by demons, and uh, Jesus commands those demons to leave the man, and then he casts them into a herd of pigs. And uh, they obey him, they, they go into the pigs, the pigs go wild, they run off the side of a cliff, and they sail into the air and, and land to their death at the bottom of the cliff. Somebody once said, this is the first documented case of swine flu. But you see here that even the demons believe in Jesus. Even the demons follow his command. And James 2.4 says, You see, that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, don't misinterpret this passage. Don't misunderstand what James is saying. You know, don't think that he's saying that through your good deeds, through your prayers, through your church involvement, that somehow, someway, God owes you, you know, heaven in return for all of your efforts. That's not what this is saying. That's not what I'm saying. Salvation is a gift. It it is an undeserved gift. You know, every July 1st, I have a birthday. Without fail, July 1st, I have a birthday. I receive gifts. I've done nothing to deserve them. I had no say in the matter 51 years ago. 
You know, absolutely no credit for the occasion can I take, you know, but I receive gifts, no strings attached. Salvation is like that. It's a gift from God. You can't earn it. All you can do is just humbly surrender yourself. Admit the obvious. That you're a sinner in need of a Savior and then just present yourself as a candidate for God's grace. Have you done that? You can do it today. I'm going to step you through that at the, at the end of our service, but what are you waiting on? Your attendance here is not going to save you. You could sign up for all kinds of things today. That's not going to save you. In fact, baptism in and of itself is not going to save you. If you haven't given your life to Christ and humbled yourself, admitted you're a sinner and put your faith in Jesus, you get baptized, you're just getting wet. You know, if there's anybody here today who believes or thinks that because you attend church or you've led a life group or you've given generously or you volunteer in some capacity, that somehow you can earn your way into God's good graces... Man, you're wrong. Forget it. That's not, it's useless. You're serving for the wrong reasons, and God doesn't operate that. Listen, he wants to see good works and good deeds and service as, as a result of what's in your heart. Not because you're trying to earn something. You see, you and I are sinners, and we cannot impress a holy God. That's our standard. It's God. It's impossible. We're in rags. He is robed in royalty. We are paupers, and he is a king. And we have no hope of heaven until we realize that we are absolutely nothing apart from him, and we are sinners in need of a Savior. And when we allow Jesus to come into our hearts and that relationship begins to take root, then the result is our desire to serve him and to please him. Those actions and good works that we now want to do, you see, they're, they're not in expectation of salvation, but they are in appreciation of that salvation. We get it backwards. You know, we believe that through the things that we do, through those big acts that we perform, that, that God, you know, that's what God's looking at. You know, the, those big things that we do for God, those things that, you know, someday, you know, we think those are the things that someday God's going to call to mind, you know, but when we stand before him on judgment day. You know, he taught, you know, in Sunday school class, or he went to church regularly, and, and let me tell you something. If that's what you think, the Bible says that those titles and that service, that is the only reward that you're ever going to get for it. I actually believe that God's far more concerned with how you treat your neighbor. You know, how you respond to your coworkers. Who you go out of your way to say a word of encouragement to. How you act when you're in a hotel hundreds of miles from home. We get it backwards. Listen, God, God is watching how you demonstrate your faith in the small things done consistently which in a self-absorbed, self-selfish, self, preoccupied world, all that goes unnoticed. The world can't understand that type of behavior, but God can. 
Because he knows that those, those little acts of love that go unrewarded on this earth, they're just a byproduct of a true and genuine faith. And someday that will be rewarded. So let me ask you, has your faith produced good works in your life? Are you involved in the hurts and the needs of the people around you? You know, are you communicating with Jesus to try to figure out how you can serve him and how you can partner with him and serve him by serving others? Is your faith evident or is it hidden? Are you ashamed to invite somebody to Coastal? Has the gospel found a home, you know, not only in your head but in your heart? See, week in and week out, man, there are millions and millions of people who attend a church somewhere, and intellectually, they might know the facts of the gospel. They might even try to live a good moral life, but it's possible they're not born again. They're just people who become very good at playing church. Listen, it was Jesus who said these pretty haunting words. Listen to this. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In fact, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In other words, Lord, you know, didn't we preach and teach and lead in your name? And in your name, didn't we drive out demons, perform miracles? Man, we showed up at church, we lifted our hands, we did all kind of great things. And then Jesus says, I will tell some of them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. You see, Jesus isn't saying that he doesn't know who these people are. He's just saying, I never had a relationship with you. What about it? I mean, that is the most important question. Do you know Jesus? I'm not saying is he in your head. I'm saying do you have a relationship with him? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone for what he did on this earth, on that cross, and in that empty tomb for you? And then is that faith, is it being evidenced in how you live every day? Faith is the root, but the how you live, that's the fruit. Man, you can start a relationship with him now. You don't have to wait He's not waiting on you to clean yourself up. You can't. That's the point. We need him. Man, you can do it now. Do it today. And for those of you who claim to be a follower of Jesus, man, start living for him. Start, you know, just being proud of your faith and, and not being ashamed. And maybe for you that, that's the need to be baptized. Maybe for you it's to invite your friend to church. Maybe for you to be involved is to, to serve others, to, to find a way to serve God by serving your fellow man here at Coastal and here in our community. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. Bow our heads, bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do thank you for your word. I thank you for this word that James wrote so many years ago to this, this, this church, this group of believers that, had, that were being persecuted and scattered um, all over Jerusalem and all over the world. And um, Father, it's very possible. In fact, I believe there are people here today, maybe someone watching at home, who has not yet truly put their faith, their trust in Jesus and what 
he has done for them. They Listen, you might know about him, but you've not yet humbled yourself and began a relationship with him. Man, start it today. Man, let me tell you something. Our God loves you, and he is calling you home. You are not here by accident. He wants that relationship with you. Listen, he knows everything about you, all those things today that you feel ashamed about and embarrassed about. Man, God knows it, and he still loves you. He died for you through Jesus, and he wants you to come home. If you will just take one step of faith toward him, He will make up all the distance. The Bible says he will welcome you with open arms. He will love you. He will forgive you. He will adopt you as his forever child. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do admit it. I've known about you, but I don't know you. Today I want to begin that relationship. I want to come home as your child. Father, as much as I understand and know, I believe. I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he went to a cross for me, my sin. In fact, today, God, I I turn my back on my sin, and I turn in faith toward Jesus, asking him to forgive me. And God, I, I know that he has the power to do that. He proved it by coming back from the dead. I believe he is alive. And I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone. And I just want to grow in knowing him better and better. In fact, now, God, for the rest of my days, I don't want to, I want to stop trying to earn your favor. I just want to thank you for saving me. I want to follow Jesus and love you because of who you are and what you've done for me. And Father, I pray for our church. I pray that we would be the church that you've called us. I pray that we would live our faith on display. Not because we're trying to draw attention to us or ourselves, but simply because, man, we follow Jesus and we can't help but talk about him. We love you, Father. Father, today I also pray for those um, families who lost their loved ones in Pittsburgh. Father, we are, uh, we are living in a day and time where people truly are, uh, they're evil and they're far from you. May we rise up and be the church that you've called us to be. May we lift up Jesus high and clear and let him draw people to himself. We love you, Father, and we pray these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.